Action Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glut. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today on American Glutton, I'm so happy to welcome the incredible Rachel Ray. I can't say enough about how much I've personally learned from her and the good that she does for millions of people. Let's get right to it. You can find Rachel on Instagram at Rachel Ray. Rachel Ray, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Oh my God, I am so excited to be here. I invited myself. I begged you to let me come. (laughs) You are one of my favorite, most inspiring and inspired guests of all time. Everything you said brought me to happy tears and I, I, I begged to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me and making time. Well, I, I have to say, well, thank you for having me on your show and thank you for those, those accolades. I appreciate that. I don't know that I can fully ingest them and have them, but I appreciate the sentiment. And I just want to say how big of an impact you had on my life because, and I think that this could be true for anyone. I, I like to talk to as many people with as many different and and divergent ideas on diet and nutrition as I possibly can. The one point that is consistent is responsibility for and with food. So it doesn't matter what plan you're doing. If you're doing carnivore or veganism and anything in between, you have to be responsible to some degree for getting the food that you need into your body. And through you, I I feel like you are providing a service to so many people, you know, especially in this last year where we all were so reliant on stuff like Postmates and stuff like that. You're actually teaching many people who have no idea how to prepare food, how to prepare food, how to have some responsibility with food. Well, I think it, it is such a huge factor and not only who I have become in my 52 years, but in the quality of every person's life. I was lucky in that I was born into a family where we had a multi-generation house. My grandpa lived with us when, when I was a child. He was my best friend. And I cried my first day at kindergarten because all the children made fun of me because I was in a dress. Grandpa made me wear a dress. And because my lunch was a sardine sandwich, because that was my favorite lunch. Right. I ate like a, a uh, 70-something Sicilian man, because that's that was my gang. That's who I rolled with, the Runzo boys and Emmanuel, my, my grandpa. So uh, I, I even wrote a chapter about it in the book I wrote when I was 50. I called it 50. And I wrote a chapter called Sardines Don't Make You Friends. <laughs> it was, you know, but I, I feel that there was such a benefit as a young person to grow up in a home where there was a Mediterranean diet. I never saw a Pop-Tart until I was in like middle school. Right. We didn't have sugary treats in our house. We had no processed foods whatsoever. The, the, the most extravagant my mother got at the grocery store was letting us have a Stella Doro breakfast treat. You know, it was like a really big deal. Yeah. I ate a plain shredded wheat biscuit with espresso and warm milk on it at breakfast, which is probably why I remain so short in life. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a, the way a breakfast cereal should be to me. You know, it's like the, the cream of wheat with a little caffeine. It sounds awesome. Yeah. And, you know, and we always had, my grandpa had 10 children. My mother was the firstborn. He grew all of their food. And my mom would try and race her brothers and sisters home so she could sneak down to the canning cellar and steal a jar of eggplant. Uh, or, or pickled vegetable that she liked, or fruit. You know, to them, those were treats. That was the family pantry. You know, I grew up very lucky with people that ate food that they grew, that they canned, 
that we knew where it came from, and a largely Mediterranean diet. And I think that it has always been the purpose. Of course, I teach fun food. I teach mac and cheese and burgers and all that. But I, I, I try and teach in every discipline now, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, flexitarian. I try and get people to eat less meat for the good of the planet, even if they are uh, big meat lovers and meat eaters. I've tried to educate myself over the decades as to the changing diets of Americans, but I've also tried to influence families in easy food can still be fun. You can yeah. make a healthy taco. You can make a pizza on a piece of chicken paillard instead of on a piece of bread right. or on a dough. Um, it's very easy if you keep the food fun and light in your head. It's very easy to adapt uh, to make food healthier in so many ways. And I think that the American public has come an enormous, like a real long distance. And I never get grumpy about things like meal kits or things that people feel they need to kind of get them going and feel better in a kitchen. I do think it's a gross over expenditure. Once you learn some basics of cooking the types of flavors and the things that you like, you then have the luxury of being able to buy a whole chicken, uh, being able to buy any vegetable and know how to process it yourself or to blanch it and freeze it when the price is nice or the end of summer corn or terrific price on whatever vegetable you you love or your family loves or being able to blanch and freeze fava beans and I can have fava beans in my pasta, you know, totally out of season. Uh, learning how to process fruits and vegetables and foods that are healthier for you allows you to eliminate the number one, I think, cause of obesity and poor health and certainly uh, an effect on gluttony itself. All the triggers of the um, added sugars and uh, highly processed food. Once we learn to process our own food, we just naturally become healthier. Yeah. The point doesn't have to be massive amounts of weight loss. You will think clearer and you will feel better if you eat less animal fats. And if you eliminate processed food as much as possible, hey, you know, Andrew Zimmern is one of the most brilliant chefs on the planet, one of the most educated, fascinating humans that I know. You know, when he's making a pilgrimage somewhere or, or cooking with families or out on the road traveling, he will go in and he will tell you himself, he will eat a, like, been in the container six hours. He calls it leathery mozzarella individual pizza for one. Right. It's been there, like, all day. Yeah. You know, everybody's going to have those moments in life, right? They're frailties, let's say. Yeah. But I don't think you should feel guilty about that. I think it's very empowering. And I know when I was super poor, I can remember my hand shaking the first time I used a bank card. I was so scared I'd have to put back the chicken or the toilet paper. And which would I choose? <laughs> what do you choose? Right. I was so scared. Like my hand was shaking because I kept my budget so tight. You know, I was scared to use a bank card. Yeah. And I remember thinking, no matter what, you're going to be okay. Because I was the person that was buying dry beans, uh, you know, my carrot, celery, onion stock for the week. So I was the person who was already buying dry beans and plenty of vegetables and a whole protein because I knew what to do with it. Yeah. And it's very empowering as a young person, whether you're a doctor or a musician uh, or you cook for a living, it doesn't matter. Being able to cook for yourself and provide some basics for yourself allows you the freedom not to be afraid of a small budget and allows you the freedom that you don't have to feel foggy or bad or guilt about what you're eating because you know how to take a little bit of money and make very good food. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't point, I wouldn't point to only one thing and say, this is the root cause for all of this issue. Right. But I do certainly think that a major contributing factor is the fact that um, I think we're losing to some degree the idea of home cooking. Certainly as the cities grow bigger and we have the convenience of restaurants and the convenience of fast food and, and all like this. And, and to your point, it's not even necessarily about like eliminating it entirely, but just having some knowledge base where you understand 
exactly what went into what you're eating versus really maybe having no idea when you go and take something that's in a package. Are you really looking at what all the ingredients are? Are you really trying to understand? A lot of them are just big chemicals and who the hell knows what any of that stuff means? You know, very few people, I would assume. I can't even spell or pronounce half of it in some cases, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I completely agree. And I, that's, that's what I'm saying. You know, knowledge is always very empowering. It's, it's enlightening. It makes you a calmer person. And it, it just arms you uh, so that the next day or the next week or the next month, you can make a slightly better decision. There's no silver lining to a pandemic, just simply right. not. There's death and sadness and economic loss and pivoting and, uh, you know, the loss of businesses and life in, in every way possible. But I do think that it, it, it also brought families together more so than ever. And when we are hardest hit, that's when we come together the strongest at the table. I don't, you know, from any place in the world, not just here, but this is a universal thought. You know, to hear my mother talk about her youth, you would think she was a, a very blessed and that she had this very rich life. They were very poor and they grew most everything that they ate. But to hear the stories, they were so rich with the time that they spent with each other. And uh, she never had a set bedtime. You know, my grandpa would get them out of bed in the middle of the night so they could see the northern lights. Or he felt like having a bonfire because it was the end of the fall and he had to burn his vines to enrich the soil. Right. So he'd wake all the kids up and they'd sing in the middle of the night and have a bonfire. I mean, they lived by different rules. Different things were important. And I think that's what we try and do in a small way on the show is remind people how important those little things are. Little rituals like being able to provide for yourself loosening up family rules about when families can eat together. It doesn't always have to be at the same time or in the same way. Um, making food more fun and inclusive for kids, letting them make a mess in the kitchen. You make a mess in the kitchen, <laughs> not being afraid to fail. Um, you know, people get so uptight about having everything look right and be right. It doesn't have to be. The, the point is that you tried and, and that there's a process there and that it becomes a story you know, and that food is like music and that it connects our generations. It connects us to our best selves and it can help us daydream for what's coming next or, or try something new. It can be adventurous. It's a conduit. It's a yeah. tool. And if we get to a point where we forget to use that tool, it's like a muscle. It atrophies. Yeah. And so you do it less and less and less. I'm not saying give up anything. Of course not. I'm just saying it's fun to live in moderation. It's, right. it's, a, it's a fuller life. Yeah. If, if somebody, for instance, who, who is struggling with these ideas and has relied, you know, I think also we can think about, like, I think when I think back to the way my parents were raised, they were taught some of this stuff in school. There was um, home ec where some of these principles um, were at least delivered to them. I didn't have any of that. I, I was never really a witness to people cooking because I went to school and when I got home, dinner was kind of ready. And often it was, um, you know, processed or even if it wasn't processed, I, I didn't like it very much. It just, it, it was uh, occasional trips to see my grandparents that I would witness cooking, but I was always separated from that and not allowed to really participate. So it wasn't until way later that I, that I decided to look at it. And, and during my first real self-determined diet started watching you and, and going like, Oh, you know, when I'm, back to having to prepare food and make food, I can do this. But for somebody who has relied solely on restaurant foods, who, who has no idea who the idea of going and buying chicken or veggies or dry beans, you know, like how the hell do you make dry beans? Beans should come <laughs> in a can with lots of lard. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> is there a simple thing that you would suggest somebody begins with? Well, you touched on two things there that are important to me. So I'm going to back up to the first. Okay. When I was a girl, we still had home ec and shop 
uh, auto shop and wood shop, home economics, uh, civics class. We have downgraded our quality of public school and public food to a catastrophic level. And that's happened under both Democrats and Republicans. I don't care how you vote. We all need to get behind improving that again. I worked on it for the entire Obama administration. I worked on it, uh, started with the Clinton administration. The reason I started a brand was to improve school food, start an educational program and a scholarship program uh, for American kids, and to feed the hungry. That's, that's how we started our business plan. Oh, wow. And then it branched out into animals and all that. But I wanted to pay the next generation because our schools aren't doing it anymore. And this touches on so many things. Access to food through public schools, through our tax dollars, local and uh, federal, should cover food for children. And if our only delivery system to give children nutritious food is through our school system, give them access 12 months a year to that. And when they're in school, make sure that that food is nutritious and that they have breakfast. For some children, this is their only food security, period. And then the idea that they don't have time to eat together anymore. They don't have proper physical education anymore or enough of it. And they don't have these basic skills. You used to be able to graduate high school. You could go to BOCES your senior year and train outside of classrooms and work on lines as a cook or work in a garage. You could have part-time gigs as part of your schooling. You could go and had to go to learn how to fix a car. Learn how to build a birdhouse and a lamp, you know, learn how to sew on a button and scramble an egg and bake a cake. These are things that were about quality of life. And they added as much to education as uh, STEM, you know, for for all of us. You know, a lot of people never use algebra the rest of their life, (laughs) but everybody uses life skills. Everybody needs to know how to uh, turn the fuse box back on how to uh, jump their car, how to sew a button. Like there are things that gave us a quality of life and a relationship with each other. So I think that it's important that we bring back a cooler version of that now. It can't just be about testing and uh, broadband access. Although I think that's very important to add to the interest, uh, infrastructure, of course, uh, universal broadband access across our country, very important. It's also important to give children a time with each other, face to face, to digest good food, to to play games, to build relationships, to to learn their social skills, and to have a skill set that touches on the arts, the basics of living. You know, all of that should be in our public school system. For those of us who grew up without that benefit, I tell people all the time of any age, a lot of folks, uh, I was so inspired by one of our guests the other day. She was a flight attendant for 33 years, lost her gig, and went to culinary school. After ending a 33 career, having it ended for her, I should say, she started a whole new life. Now she owns Twisted Soul Cook Shop, and she wrote a cookbook, and her food is incredible. And she took her soul food roots and all these big flavors, and she applied it to every cuisine that she studied all over the planet Earth. And she used to smuggle into every country a crock pot and a hot plate. And she would cook. She'd go to the market and read all about and talk to people face to face about what the food was in the south of France, uh, in Germany, in Spain, in Italy, all over the world. She taught herself all these different disciplines. And she took herself to culinary school first just by cooking for her friends. Right. How could you cook for them if you're in a little hotel room? And you're there for like 30 hours. And she said, well, I had a hot plate, of course. It was just so adorable. But I think that it, it really has to start with what you like or what you grew up loving so much. Yeah. What she loved about her soul food roots was that it reminded her of her aunties and uncles, her grandparents, and the flavors reminded her of being with them. And then she applied them to different seafood or plant proteins She took things that were familiar and expanded her horizon. So I tell people all the time, if if you are afraid of cooking or you cook very little, or you only cook from kits, think about it like this. 
close your eyes. And if somebody said, you could plan your menu for the whole month and have anything you want all the time, just look at that in your head. You know, seven or 10 of those things, they're all Tex-Mex. 15 of those things are Italian. Um, I'm a real meat and potatoes. Uh, I, I, I love vegetables. I cannot live without this, this, and this. Whatever you love the most, that's where you should begin because that's where your natural interest level in making that thing with love will land. And that's what you have to find. You have to find the spark that makes you want to get behind the pan and the knife. So if you're making it about you love cauliflower, then you're going to learn how to make cauliflower in the most beautiful ways you can possibly imagine because you love cauliflower. Yeah. Now, cauliflower is probably pretty low on everybody's life list. It's probably, probably going to be more like pasta or something. You know, like I don't know. My wife obsessively <laughs> loves cauliflower. We have bags yes. and bags and heads of cauliflower in our yeah, fridge. Yeah, because you so can do anything with fair. it. Yeah. You can rice it. You can puree it. It can be mashed potatoes. It can be rice. It can be steaks. It can be whole giant heads. Uh, you can turn it into shawarma, which I have. Uh, so it's, it just, you have to find the spark for you. So I always tell people, start small, think about the things you love most to eat. Cause you're going to prepare them with the most care and only buy the equipment you need to make that thing. For instance, in our family, John has to have a certain amount of pasta. We love seafood. I need this type of skillet. I need this big of a pot. I need a colander. Everybody needs a big cutting board. But you don't need to have a bunch of things in your kitchen that intimidate you. Gift it away. If you've never used the waffle iron, guess what? You don't like waffles. Give it away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Simplify your kitchen, your pantry, your life, and only start with the food you like and the equipment that you need specifically to create that food. If you really love smoothies and soups and gazpacho, go ahead, save up. And buy the Mac Daddy Vitamix or whatever. But if you've never used, you know, any of this stuff that we all collect or get gifted over the years, get rid of it. Give it to people that will use it, you know, and build your life, your kitchen, your diet, your pantry on what you like. Yeah, I I, I am so guilty of what you're talking about. I have you know the 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 rice maker just to make tadig the special persian crispy yeah, rice. i love I have, the, I have the pressure cookers and the sous vide machines and all this stuff and and air fryers and deep fryers and <laughs> you, you can't turn in my kitchen and it's true i don't use really any of it f- for years because i my diet has been vastly simplified but even going into that um you know, but you can make tadig in just a skillet, my friend. I'm I know. Afraid. I mean, yeah. this is true. Yes, you can. Yeah, it, you can. It's not quite as easy, but it's doable. And I've done it. Yeah. Um, I have a special pot just for cassoulet, which I've made three times in my life. And I have a cast iron pot for it. Um, th- this is the, uh, this is, I think, as uh, American as it gets, you know, we have to have the thing to make the thing we loved that one time we saw it and then we never make it again, but we have the thing, which, and to your point, we could have used just what we had and figured it out. I took more. If, if you have less, I really do. If you simplify how you think about your food and what you love to eat and what, what items I would never get rid of my tagine because I use it for Irish stew. Yeah. And all Moroccan dishes and Tadig, like a lot of Middle Eastern uh, and Israeli dishes. So I, I look at my vessels, especially after our house burned down, you reevaluate your entire life when you lose. You know, we lived in that house for 16 years, but that was 51 years of my life. Everything, all of my notebooks, everything I collected, every pot, pan, my entire pantry. Bye bye. You really think when you have to start all over uh, and, and you're over 50, especially, you really look at what do I actually need and what do I really use? And that's how I rebuilt the kitchen here in our guest house that is, you know, has become our permanent house for obvious reasons right. over the last year. Um, but yeah, I had to start all over again 
And I had to really think that through and say, what do I want to spend the space on? The house is very tall. My house is very tall, this little, the guest house, but the actual floor space is very small and it's about half the size of the storage, maybe even less than that, that I used to have wow. for pots, pans, dishes, equipment and things. Uh, and I have to tell you, it's easier to go about my day, which is good because we shoot two or three television you know, meals a day. And sometimes I make something different for the family if nobody wanted anything. They can be like that, which is so jerky, which is so jerky. But um, sometimes they want something entirely different than everything else I have to make that day. So, yeah. but it's a lot easier to work here. Isn't that weird? So it weird. is so weird. I have total, I can empathize with what you're saying. Having four kids and a wife, there would be days where I would cook something thinking we're all going to eat this. And then it's like you wind up nope. making five meals by the, by the time you're ready to eat. Like this kid won't eat this and this kid won't eat this. Um, I, if, if I, I, here's another uh, idea I have that I try to look for um, ways to circumvent it. But I think that, like, as you said, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The school is the, the source of food safety for a lot of kids. And now we have, unfortunately, in my eyes, corporate sponsorship in a lot of these instances where their exposure to Mexican food is Taco Bell, their exposure to Italian food is Pizza Hut, their exposure to American food is like McDonald's or Burger King or something like this. And so I think it can be very, very hard when you have a multi-billion dollar corporation whose sole purpose it is to figure out making the, the, item of food that people are going to keep coming back to are going to salivate at the thought of and it's hyper concentrations of fats and sugar That's and right. molecularly that way yeah these 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 things are have scientists in labs putting them together and messing with the molecules so that when you taste it every bit of desire in your mouth is exploding and and I go like, how do we, if that is where kids are learning to eat a lot, you know, I don't think it's an absolute, but ton of them. How do we compete trying to sell them cauliflower and chicken? Well, you have to make, that's what I said. You have to make a compromise. You have to make soft tacos instead of fried tacos at home. You have to sandwich a little cheese between two layers and put fish inside instead of, you know, if you make it tasty and all they hear is the word taco and they see things that look similar, I mean, they will try it. They, they will. The food has to sound and act as fun as the other product. You know, my husband, he's definitely a meat eater. He far prefers impossible to ground beef. Really? In fact, I made him, I call them big smacks. I use uh, <laughs> yogurt or, or sour cream and I make a spicy sauce. I don't use mayonnaise. And I, I made what looked, would appear to other people to be a Big Mac, right? Um, I made them side by side. Really the absolute best butcher in New York City, Ground Sirloin, and the Impossible. He not only preferred the Impossible, he thought it was the meat. Wow. I mean, he loves it. He loves it. And you can make that, and I have. I have friends that I do cook-alongs with that have gone through different uh, dietary restrictions and allergies and stuff. I have made uh, vegan meat sauces. You know, I have used Impossible to make a Tuscan-style sauce, and it was absolutely outrageously delicious, and you would never know the difference. So the food has to look as enticing as the food that's not so great, but we do have to invest the time and be willing to make it at home. Yeah. It doesn't really take that long to throw a hamburger or taco party for your kids. Right. But you can make it with Impossible. You could make the tacos super healthy with lean proteins and still make it look like taco night. It doesn't have to look so different. It doesn't take that much time to make fun, healthy, stand-up hard shell tacos. Fine. But if I, instead of using meat, I'm using Impossible. It's better for the planet. It's high protein. It's great flavor. And they would never know the difference. They just think it's a taco. Yeah. 
but you know what you're feeding them. And that's what I've always said about food, especially takeout or drive up uh, type food. If you make your own, you control the salt, the fat, and the quality of ingredient. I don't care what you eat. You can eat macaroni and cheese. You can eat tacos. You can eat pizzas. I, I don't care what you eat. If you make it yourself, it will in inevitably be healthier for you and be filled with more vitamin content, you know, and that's just that. It, it, it doesn't matter if you're making your own Chinese or making your own tacos by being in charge of it and just investing a little bit of time. And that's why 30 minute meals was like the original promise because people would wait 30 minutes to get, uh, you know, the Domino's delivery. And then right. Domino's had a couple of incidents and they stopped making that promise. But I figured if pizza, uh, you know, if people were willing to wait 30 minutes for a kind of an okay pizza, they should be willing to spend 30 minutes making food, yeah, you know, yeah. for themselves and the people that they love. I also think that learning fun foods like that helps when you're feeding a large group, you know, four children, the whole family. Because if I just warm up the harder soft shell tacos, here's the plant-based meat, or here's the vegetable veggie filling or the black bean filling or whatever. Here's the chicken filling. Here's the shrimp. Like you can make a little you know, a bar of it and people fill their own and they try this and try that, you know? And if you start mixing everything together into a macaroni and cheese or a salsa or a pasta, something that all the, uh, everybody loves spaghetti. Well, you can't eat this spaghetti unless you're willing to eat the zucchini that's in it. You know what I mean? Like you make it impossible for them to avoid it. Yeah. We've been, um, we've done some messing around, by the way, to your point, we did um, Buffalo cauliflower, Yes. Not longer, which was fantastic. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And and we've done, you know, I have the machine that you plug the zucchini into and you turn it Makes into spaghetti. Yeah. yeah. And uh we've done spaghetti squash and there's this stuff, um Kojak, I think it's called noodles, which are, you know, listen, I'm sure if you're eating real pasta every day and you switch comjack, something like that, some noodle it's made out of kelp <laughs> yeah. or something. You know, switching over immediately, it's going to be like startlingly different. I hadn't eaten pasta in a long time and had this konjac pasta and was like, for me, this is pasta. Like I can't, I don't, I'm not sitting here eating this going, I miss something, but I'm not eating pasta all the time. You can also do a half and a half, you know, you can make a half a pound of spaghetti and add at the end, the last two minutes, the twirls of zucchini and toss it with tomato sauce and they're eating half vegetable, half pasta. They're eating half as uh, the amount that they would of, of a big bowl of spaghetti, for instance. So again, I think that there's a, a way there where you can maneuver without being completely drastic because otherwise they're going to start thinking about food as bad guys and good guys. Like, all of this food is for when we're having fun or when I get to see my friends and all this food is what I'm forced to eat when I'm home and I hate it. Right. It's very hard to build a whole human that learns to cook for themselves and learns things in moderation and what the word moderation means. If it's like a light switch for a kid, if it's this food's good and this food's bad, it becomes a very difficult conflict for them. Rather, if you storytell with them, and make food that looks like it's not so great for them, but it actually is healthier for them. They're like, oh, well, my family makes this too, and it's delicious too. It's fun to have a burger here with my friends, but I love the burgers we have at home. It's fun to come to this restaurant with my auntie or my cousin, but I also like this when we make it at home. The food has to at least have a ring a bell for them with what excites them, or kids are going to be if children aren't mentally stimulated and find the food creative and fun, they, they, they don't want any part of it. They yeah. think of it as a chore, as something that they have to do, period. But buffalo cauliflower, I'm so down with that. I've taught it myself. It's delicious. It's fantastic. Perfect example. The kids think they're having, you know, wings from, you know, buffalo bar or whatever. And they're just eating cauliflower. Yeah, with with a little hot sauce. It's so good. It's delicious. Um, for, 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 let's say for, for a person who has had failures, um, when trying to prepare their own food or somebody who's been, uh, reliant on others or reliant on the fast food industry, is there an area which you would suggest they 
take their first Fourier into. Um, and, and I just mean like, is there a type of food that you find is the kind of an easy doorway to cooking for yourself? The first thing you need to do is get a good knife, a, a real forged knife. And literally you can do it in an hour. Chop a couple of onions. Learn to be comfortable with a knife. There's 10,000 ad nauseum videos and tutorials out there. Free and, and actual classes you can pay for. Learn how to be comfortable with a knife first. You, you, you can't be comfortable in a kitchen. You can't make a salad or your dinner if you don't know how to safely use a knife. So start with basic knife skill. Think of a super stew that you like. It's the most forgiving thing you can make. So whether you love uh, noodle soup or chicken noodle soup or you love chili, again, you can make any of these things plant-based or as healthy or as lean or as light as you want, but you're cooking in liquid, so it's very forgiving. You're sauteing over a moderate heat in whatever healthy fat you choose. We predominantly use olive oil for obvious reasons. That's the way I grew up. Uh, but we have all sorts of different oils in the pantry for all different sorts of projects and reasons. But... I would start with something you love, a chili, a sauce, a soup, a stew that's very forgiving. And, and then you can use it in a couple different ways. You could use it, you know, wrapped in a tortilla or topped over rice with some beans. You can eat it, you know, just with a couple of pita chips or something. Uh, you know, start with things that are, are forgiving. A simple roast chicken. Um, roasting vegetables could not be simpler and changes their entire flavor value for me, across the board, roasted broccolini, roast cauliflower, roasted green beans, roast asparagus, so delicious. Dry frying, uh, giant cast iron skillets with barely a spray of oil, dry frying green beans or asparagus and spring onions this time of year. All of those things together, so delicious. Um, learning the basics, again, you could study it for an hour online, learning the basics of how to use a grill appropriately. Indirect heat versus direct heat and how we use that. Then you can make grilled fish, grilled vegetables, grilled chicken. So basic knife skills, uh, streamlining your kitchen and your pantry and building to what you want to eat and doing a tiny bit of studying on how we use a grill, uh, how we never, ever, ever preheat a nonstick skillet with nothing in it because you put a bunch of toxic stuff in your air that you're breathing. Right. And, and when it comes to buying for your kitchen, buy less, but buy the best quality. Uh, I sell great products at a price I'm really proud of, but I prefer to cook only in cast iron. And for nonstick, I use hard anodized. I like those materials. So be, be willing to say, okay, I need a great cast iron skillet, or I need a great grill, or I need a great this or a great that. And get those few things, a really good one, a really good knife, a really big cutting board, a really good skillet. Um, uh, and, you know, just begin there, baby steps. Also, don't try and make something that is intimidating to you before you even begin cooking it. If you're looking at a picture and you're like, boy, that looks amazing, let that be a long-term goal. Like, if it looks intimidating... Chances are you don't have the skill set maybe to do that yet. Pick a picture you like, an image that you like on either digitally, you know, on, on the internet, on Pinterest or in a magazine or in a food magazine, one that you can see yourself doing. I humbly suggest that my in-season magazine, I do write 30 uh, minute meals every single issue and they are quite simple and quite lovely. <laughs> and I write only in season. It's the name of the magazine. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's such a good place to begin because I think if you have the time to call Postmates and wait for the food, you have the time to throw something together in 30 minutes. 30 minutes is such a short commitment to I know. have a, a meal. Um I spend hours and hours meal prepping and then, you know, on Wednesday or Thursday, I'm, I run out of food and I'm throwing stuff together in little 30 minute increments. And this is just the, this is just a successful way. Also to your point, I have 
kind of, I think now four levels of knives. One's in a block that's accessible to everyone. One set is on magnets. One set is hidden in the kitchen. And then the ones that I really cherish are hidden in my sock drawer, which I've just given away. But I'll take those out and put and clean them and put them back every time so my kids don't dull them up. Yeah, I think that that's brilliant. I, I too, I have the gen, gen, gen pop. I have general population knives or stuff yeah. that I beat up every day on the show. And then I have like my beautiful Japanese knives and my beautiful knives that my husband had made for me for my birthday and stuff like that. And then I have like gen pop, the stuff that I use yeah. <laughs> or leave on the counter for guests right. in the drawer and the stuff that I use on the show. Right. Yeah. And if somebody <laughs> comes in, my wife's friend is just chopping with it. I don't feel sick to my stomach seeing that, you know, I it's know. fine. I, I that, know. that knife is for well, you. You know what? I like to ke- I like to keep them with as few scratches on them as possible. I, I, and I like to keep them for when I'm doing big cooks or when we go to Italy to cook for our anniversary for our friends every year. I bring the the fancy, you know, the the, the high end. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like to keep them nice for that. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. No. Uh, but if you if you are intimidated by the kitchen, you will never achieve anything in the kitchen if you don't at least invest in a knife that is forged and that you can keep sharp and that has a great edge to it. You do have to spend a little bit of money on your knife, or you're going to hate just being in the kitchen right? because you're going to be fighting yourself. You know, you, you can't produce food without the proper equipment. So you are going to have to make a little bit of investment of time and of yourself, but the, the emotional, uh, I mean, uh, the, the health benefits are obvious. We've been talking about them for several minutes now, but the emotional payoff to preparing food, even just for myself, you know, my husband went on uh, he went on a huge tour with Motley Crue and Alice Cooper for like 50 dates. And I did uh, 50 nights of band widow dinners. I was just cooking for myself, but I showed everybody what I made for myself every single day for 54 54 nights, I think it was. People are like, you cooked that just for you? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, Yeah. I did. I'm a person too. Yeah. And it's fantastic. And you're, and, you, and it feels good yeah. when you're eating healthy food and it looks pretty. Yeah. That's part of the experience of enjoying the meal, you know? And I just, I always thought that was so funny that people, they're constantly shocked when they come over to my house too, or if they spend a weekend or something when we used to have guests, <laughs> um, they're always shocked at how often I'm in the kitchen and, and that I actually enjoy preparing food. And I'm like, why do you think I have this, this gig, man? Right. It's not just a day job. Says, yeah. As my husband always says, you know, they don't just give these jobs away. Right. right. <laughs> she amazing. likes to cook. That's what she does. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it watching you is infectious and, mm-hmm. and I appreciate you so much. And I, I have, love you. You know that I've gotten truly life changing stuff just from following your advice on this. So I thank you very much. I thank you, my friend. I think you do such important work and it's such an important conversation to have. And I love that you bring it around to kids and family and our lifestyle. You know what I like about you, Ethan, is you never, none of this is judgmental. Not at all. You know, you're so careful when you have the conversation to say, I can't point at any one thing that's the point of this or the point of that. You, You really are doing such great work in the world because you're making this a safe conversation. And I wish that we could have conversations like this about everything yeah. you know, as Americans. I wish we could all just rationally talk to each other about our politics, about our schools, about how we work and live together, um, you know, as a community. I really do think this is analogous to anything, any aspect of life. I think the difference is it's safe because you and I, we could even have very different ideas and it's okay to talk about them because at the end of the day, there's no military who's going to enforce how anybody eats, (laughs) you know? And so like, I'm, I'm very interested in, in all of these divergent ideas and like veganism is fascinating. Carnivore is fascinating. I don't want to do either personally. Um, but like, if that's something that's helpful to someone, I'm all for it. 
but I love teaching it and learning about it. Like I made a vegan pasta this week. Oh, I think it was uh, Tuesday morning show. I made a pasta that was a tahini based um, sauce that you can make in three minutes in, in the blender of the food processor with, uh, I just explained it to you, uh, uh, dry fried asparagus and uh, spring onions and za'atar all over the top. And I put some rose harissa into the tahini base. It may be the most delicious pasta I've ever made in my life. It wasn't yeah. Italian. It has nothing to do with our family's recipes. It's nothing to do with anything. You could have made it with gluten-free pasta. You could have put it on my arm. I'd have taken a bite. Right. It was so, but then it wouldn't be vegan, right? Because I'd be <laughs> That would have defeated the purpose, but it was so delicious. And I love that. I love when I get into the kitchen and I can play around with something new and learn a new discipline and surprise myself with a new flavor combination that I never would have thought of before. And I, I really do try and cook and teach with mindfulness of that now. Things that people could easily adapt to tofu or seafood, even if I'm cooking with uh, chicken or pork. I did something um, with... Uh, pork tenderloin the other day, which is perfectly lean, a, a, a perfect protein. And I did it Veracruz style. And Veracruz, of course, is a Gulf state in Mexico. So it's it's largely always served with seafood. But my husband, we had a pork tenderloin in the fridge and my husband loves pork. So I made him a pork Veracruz. But I normally would make that dish with fish and you certainly could have made it with, with tofu. So I try and teach things where there's a base that could be adapted in a whole bunch of ways yeah. for families that are a mix. And I have a friend who's a huge meat eater and he's married to a pescatarian. I have other friends that as their children grew, the child decided to become a vegan or vegetarian as they became a young adult and mom and dad are not. So there's lots of families that I know that have all different people under one roof that have to learn how to eat and relate to food. And I think they might have an easier time in life because they're used to speaking to each other about it. Right. Right. These are, right. these are very opposing viewpoints, some of yeah. them. And it's okay that we hold these things and we are friendly with somebody who doesn't hold these things as necessarily moral truths. This is all, I love it. I, I feel like talking about food and diet until you get into the area where people are like, no, nobody should diet. And I'm like, well, People who want to diet should diet. And people, people who don't shouldn't. Nobody should be forcing anybody <laughs> to diet. And nobody should be telling people not to if they want to. Like, And we should be exploring all the different diets and talking about them and having interest in them. And it shouldn't be a fight between like, man is only meant to eat meat or eating meat is the worst thing you can possibly do. Don't ever eat meat again. Like these two things for me are like, Fine if they work for you, but if they don't, that's also okay. Yeah, I, I love educating myself on them. I feel just like you do. I love learning about them, and I love broadening my mind and my palate as a human. I eat much less meat now than I did maybe 10 years ago. Oh, for sure. But we haven't eliminated meat from our diet. Uh, but I love learning all these different disciplines and these different products and educating myself as to how people live around the world. Uh, it's, it's just a, another conduit that brings us closer together. Just as I said earlier, just like music, yeah. you know, these are the things that we use as, as connectors. Um, and I, I think we need to break down those things that you're talking about when people feel only rigid about their plan or their life or their path. That's what we're trying to break down uh, with work, the important work that you're doing, <clears throat> turning this back into a conversation yeah. and letting people live and let live. And by, by just having the conversation, we're all going to try new and different things. We yeah. are. We're just, you just naturally, it just happens. You, you become broader minded about all this stuff when you just listen. Uh, you know, but it has to start. I mean, listen, honestly, you talking about pan grilled green beans with tahini, my <laughs> mouth is salivating. Like, I'm <laughs> going to make that today. Uh, yeah, well, the sauce I, uh, should be up. I just, uh, I don't know if they've posted it yet, but it was so easy and so delicious. And you could put it on anything. You could put it on vegetables, grilled lean protein. It was just outrageous. Yeah. 
with Rose Harissa. You have to order Rose Harissa. Get it online. I, I just got three more jars. Amazing. <laughs> Seriously, I'm so addicted to it. It's amazing. And Yojam Adelungi, I read about it in his book. And I was shocked that he didn't have a recipe for it. And you go to where the recipe would be in the pantry, and it's like, buy this brand. He just buys it in a jar. Right, right. <laughs> he doesn't make it, he buys it. <laughs> yeah, of course, because somebody's doing it really well. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Um, and so I, I put it in um, so much stuff now. Uh, but that tahini harissa sauce, the bomb. I can't the wait. The bomb. Rachel, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate this conversation. Oh, thank you too, my friend. It's wonderful to see your face. You too. You're someone who just makes me smile from the inside out. Like you just, you look so happy and healthy and continued success and blessings to you and your beautiful family. You too. So I cannot for wait for the next one. Uh, I'll come back anytime and I, I hope you'll uh, receive our invitation as well. For sure. We're almost done with this season, but we'll, we'll have you back this fall. Awesome. Lovely Thank to spend you. time with you. Love you, you. Bye. Love you. Bye. And now for the Q&A. This comes from Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Aaron says that he and his fiance started going to the gym to get ready for their wedding in September. He said, I push myself to go to the gym at least five days a week to get to my goal. She goes with me sometimes, but complains when I see more progress than she does. Although she looks beautiful if she goes or not, how do I try to push her to go and help her out without being a dick about it so she sees the progress that she wants? This is a great question, and this is also a very, very, very tricky thing we're about to discuss here on this Q&A. Hmm. I was going to say, this is like, if you can handle this, you're going to solve every man's problem for the rest of his life. I got to be honest with you. My gut instinct is don't work out with your fiance. That's my gut instinct. I have never, I don't think I've ever had a bunch of success trying to work out with my wife. Um, she does yoga. I'll go with her to do yoga occasionally. She used to, prior to the universe ending, did this thing, Barry's Boot Camp. I did that with her a time or two. But honestly, let's be honest. That's just cardio. That's not anything but cardio. And I don't want to do that much cardio. I think dudes and gals have different... Um, I, I, I don't even know what to say because... Your your fiance could probably get a, a damn good workout at the gym. Um, I just wouldn't have it be at all related to what you're doing, you know, in, in any way. If there's going to be some, like, we're going to hold uh, bodies, uh, you know, in comparison, dudes and girls ch tend to change much differently. And so whatever your workout is, if she's going and... and and comparing what she's doing at all to what you're doing, that's going to be a tough thing. When, when I was, um, when I was riding bikes a lot, my wife and I went to Napa and, um, she went wine tasting the first day and I, um, and I rode my bike all day. And then the next day we were hanging out and, uh, and I would go and taste olive oil while she would taste wine at these at these vineyards. And, and then on the third day, we were hanging out. And she was like, let's go on a bike ride together. And I thought, yeah, this will be great. Terrible idea. <laughs> what a fucking terrible idea. Now, we took like normal beach cruisery bikes from the hotel. But like, I'm an asshole. And we're, you know, Napa's surrounded by hills and mountains and i'm like let's go up this really steep hill and i'm gonna go really fast and i'll wait for you at the top and that was not fun for her at all so and now she might beat me on a bike to be honest with you uh because i i don't do much cardio and she does lots so it might be a different thing i'm just saying i have not had success where my wife and i have dieted great together um and she also gets a little pissed off at how much more I can eat than she does. I can't help that. 
if I brought her in to lift weights with me and I was putting little tiny five pound or 10 pound weights on a barbell and having her do anything, first of all, I wouldn't have her do any of that, but like you're understanding what I'm saying. And then I'm putting hundreds of pounds on, she would be like, fuck you. You know, she would. So anyway, I don't have super sage advice other than let her get another person to go to the gym with. But you did say something I want to interject. Okay. You did say something that I thought was good, which is you said, you know, men's bodies, women's bodies, they can change at a different rate. And so it's hard to compare each other's exercise programs. Uh, My advice, he didn't ask me. No, he did. You're part of it. My advice is just either A, yeah, don't go together. But it's more to me, I understood this question more of like, she's saying she wants to uh, achieve something by their wedding but isn't going to the gym as often as he is. So he's seeing faster results. So like, I think it's like just, you know, emphasizing we've got different bodies. We're both doing different programs. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, we're coming to a place where if, if your girl is saying like, I want to, I want to achieve this goal by this date, help me. And you're seeing that she's not super motivated to do it. Yeah, maybe you have a talk like, hey, how serious are you about this? Because I don't care. It sounds like you think she's beautiful no matter what, which is what I tell my wife and I think is absolutely true. And she believes me some days. And it, I always mean it. Um, uh, you know, you don't have to do this thing for me. This is what you said you wanted, but... If you want it and, you, and you're feeling like you're not making the kind of progress you, you want to make, let's talk about that. Let's figure out something, you know, that I think is fair. If it's that she's going and looking at, you know, look, dudes have testosterone and girls have much less of it, like much, much less. And that is like all about muscle repair. And um, it's it's not going to be as easy it just isn't. I, I don't. I'm sorry to say, guys. I think um, lose weight generally quicker, uh, build muscle quicker. So that we can't do anything about it. Nothing should be j- judged based on what you're accomplishing first. If you're trying to help her get motivated to achieve some goal, then you just have to have a real conversation about like let's let's really spell out what you want and let's figure out how we're going to do it because there's a formula there and then it's just her adherence is she adhering to this formula that's that's i think a better conversation to have did i not understand what he was asking because i just get scared when you say like me and my (laughs) wife are going to the gym i go like i wouldn't do that no 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 i think you did and maybe i'm just interjecting my own whatever but it was just this point where you know, she goes with me sometimes, but complains when I see more progress than her. He said they decided they were going to go together for this goal of the wedding in September. That's all. But she's going less and seeing less progress, which makes sense. I mean, look, I think if we had a hundred percent adherence on both by both people, I think unfortunately, men. I don't know how old these people are. I mean, a lot goes into this, but. I am a man who lives in a house with five women sometimes. Mm-hmm. Not, some of them go to school in other states. But I've lived with five women for a long time. I could never say, this is exactly how it worked for me. This is exactly how it's going to work for you. Now, there are some principles that are true. Like if you put a person into a caloric deficit, they're going to lose weight. If... um you know, if you, uh, here's how you build muscle. Here's how, like, these things are true no matter what, but I, I still think that girls will, if they're also have like monthly hormonal battles that we can't comprehend. Like there's a lot. So I don't think anything should be compared one for one between men and women in that way. Um, and so, Man, this is a tricky one. You got to play this safe, dude, because you don't want to say the wrong thing to your girl. You can get in a lot of trouble. Um, but if if it's that she has a goal that she set that she's having a tough time uh, 
tough bit of motivation. You just get and talk to her and, and go like, if this is something you really want, hey, let's figure out how, how you achieve it. You know, I also don't know if she's trying to lose weight. I personally don't think that, um, I think exercise is a good part of a healthy lifestyle, but I don't really like the idea of exercise for weight loss. I personally think it's mostly diet. Um, uh, you know, and then we add some exercise because we want, uh, because it's like makes us feel better and it can be a small portion of, of the energy we're burning. But if you, if you look at, um, like weight loss, really, you got to exercise a lot to actually affect the amount of calories you're burning. And I just don't think it's a, it's a good trade. That's, that's my opinion. Um, and then it's not sustainable too. I mean, maybe it is if you're going to, you know, become a marathon runner and do it forever. But like the minute you stop exercising, you got to reduce calories. And are you going to do that? I, I never did. That's my answer. Thank you for your question. I'm scared for you and a little bit for me. If you have a question you would like me to answer on this show, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. Sincerely.